Thank you for tuning into It's Time for the Word podcast with Reverend Dr. John Perry II. On behalf of our senior pastor, we appreciate your continued support and generosity. Make sure you subscribe and download It's Time for the Word podcast from your favorite podcast platforms. Come on, that's the right reply. If you believe that he has resurrection power and he got up out of that grave, there ought to be a praise all across this building. Hallelujah. He is the risen king. He is the great I am. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't even have to ask you if you were blessed by that song because I could see it all throughout the atmosphere. Bless you, Father. The song testifies of the resurrection authority of Jesus Christ. And we don't just shout over the fact that he got up. We shout over the fact that in union with him, we've got power to get up. And so it doesn't matter what situation you got going on in your life, in your relationship with Christ, he gives you the authority and the power to rise above it. If you don't mind, look at somebody, tell them you can rise above it. Come on, find somebody else and tell them you can rise above it because he has resurrection, power, and authority. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, all across this place, if you don't mind, give God one big thunderous praise for the gift of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You may take your seats in the presence of your fellow believers. I want to salute you, PGC. I am seeing um, different changes and shifts that are really blessing my heart. Um, I wanted to take a moment to commend you as a community of faith because it's difficult to receive a new leader and just yield yourself over by faith to the leadership of a leader that you don't really know. Um, but you all have been doing a wonderful job at supporting vision, at supporting spiritual direction. And I want to salute you and say to you, job well done. You know, none of this is new to the enemy. Now, he's been around a long time. And he's mastered moments of manipulation and distortion. And I can't tell you how many communities of faith have been in the situation we're in right now. And the enemy was able to use it as an open door to cause confusion. But I'm so glad that God's partnered me with the spiritual people. I am so glad that he's yoked me with people that have a sensitivity to the voice of God and who understand um, the movements and the ways of God. And every round goes higher and higher and higher. We're, we're believing God that there's coming a day soon that we have to announce a second service because God is blessing us and we are overflowing with the fruit of souls being saved and people finding their home here at PGC. Hallelujah. Well, it's preaching time in this place. 
I'm going to call your attention to the book of Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. For reading our scripture, I want to salute our ushers for the work and the service that they render to us week after week. Um, we thank you all um, for your care and your service to us as a community of faith. Amen. Exodus chapter 19, where you found your place, you'll be known by standing in reverence for the reading of the word of God. Um, I'm going to simply read in your hearing verse 7 and 8. There you find these words beginning at verse 7. It says, So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. I want you to look again at verse 8 with me and at the people's response. It says that the people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. I want to simply preach, talk, however the Spirit of God shall lead in God on today from the simple thought, the place of decision. The place of decision. Father, we thank you now for the gift of your presence. We thank you, Father, that it is your desire to speak to our hearts and that, God, through the power of your proclaimed word, your word has the ability to reshape and make us into the people that you desire us to be. So, Father, right now we ask that you would speak to us because our hearts, God, are yearning for your word. Now, Father, I decrease in this moment and declare that if you don't speak through me, that there's no speaking to be done. And so, Father, take this moment, use it for your glory. It is all of these things we pray now in the blessed name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, Amen. You may take your presence in the presence of our living God and even your fellow brothers and sisters. The people all responded together. We will do everything that the Lord has said. It is there at the foot of the mountain of Sinai, which is the place of God's presence, that God engages with the people of Israel through Moses. There at the feet of Sinai, and God calls Moses up to have a conversation with him about what he wants to say to the people. It's unique to me because as significant as a moment as this is, as much is on the line, you would think God would come down and talk to the people for himself. Surely if my destiny hangs in the balance, that this is too weighty of a matter for God not to handle himself. And yet the text declares to us that God doesn't come down, he simply calls Moses up. So Moses does the hard work 
of going up the mountain of God's presence into the presence of God so that he can have a conversation with God about the people that God wants to speak to. And I want to put it on pause right there because there's something in that that we need to catch on the way where we're going. It's right there that the text is trying to help us to understand that God is the God who determines how he moves, when he moves, and who he uses to accomplish the moves that he wants to make. So he calls Moses up. He's having this conversation with Moses about the people. And then Moses comes down to share with the people the conversation that God wants to have with them. The conversation is about their divine destiny. If you don't mind, just repeat that with me, divine destiny. He wants to talk with them about divine destiny. It's a destiny that determines or requires of them that they've got to shift their identity. And the shift of their identity only can happen if they're willing to enter into covenant with the God of their liberation. And once you catch that movement, once again, the conversation that Moses wants to have with them that God has told him and instructed him to have is about their destiny. The destiny that God wants them to have requires that they shift their identity and their identity being shift hinges upon their ability to enter into covenant with God. So Moses has the conversation with them and at the conclusion of the conversation, Moses calls them to make a choice. That's the context of the text that I've lifted in your hearing. They're at the place of decision. It's equally important for you to understand that this decision that they're being called to make, that it comes out of the fact that they've just experienced deliverance. And if you ask most people about the book of Exodus, they'll tell you, oh, that's the book of deliverance. It's the book of God bringing his people out. And while that is true, it's only partly true. Most of us make the mistake in our Christian journey of thinking that deliverance is the climatic end of what God wants to do in our life. But this text, this narrative records for us that deliverance was only the beginning that literally God delivers them so that he can bring them to the point of making a decision. And I'm going to put it on pause right there because I want you to feel the joy that I feel from the point that I just made to you. You need to understand that when God delivered you, it was not the last thing that he was trying to do in your life. For those of you that say that he delivered me from drugs, delivered me from a bad relationship, delivered me from some negative habits or whatever your deliverance experience was, the text is trying to help us to understand that he was trying to free you from the bondage of the enemy so that he could bring you to a point of making your own decision. He's delivered them so that he could bring them to the point of making a decision. And I want to tarry there for a little while because somebody right now under the sound of my, my voice, you've broken the stronghold of some things and you think that because you broke the stronghold of what you just came out of, that the battle is over. 
But there's another battle that we all have to contend with, and that battle is the battle of the place of decision. After God has delivered you from the oppressive hand of the enemy, he brings you to the foot of his presence. And he asks you, are you ready now to make a decision? It's John Maxwell that writes this quote that I believe you'll find helpful in this moment. He says that life is a matter of choices and every choice you make makes you. So catch the moment. They're in a moment that will make them or break them. God's saying in this moment, you make the decision. Maybe you'll understand it a little bit better if I bring you deeper into the narrative of the text. Watch it. He's delivered them, and the first place that he brings them is to the spiritual death destiny or the spiritual destination that he has orchestrated for them. And I know for some of you, when I say that he delivered them and he's bringing them to the spiritual destination, you're thinking about land flowing with milk and honey. But that's not the destination place. God tells Moses, tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they can come and worship me. Watch it. He is delivering them because his desire is that they be in the place of his presence. So when the text opens up, it says three months after they leave Egypt, they get to the place called Sinai, the mountain of Sinai, which is the mountain of God's presence. And then God calls Moses up and has a conversation with Moses about them and tells him to relay the conversation to them. God's delivered them because he wants them to experience his presence. In fact, the text says that he tells Moses, when you go back down to talk to them on my behalf, tell them that you saw what I've done to Egypt. In other words, he says to them that you have experienced the power of who I am. And there are a few people in here that can say they're not the only people who've experienced the power of who God is. I've experienced the power of God in my own life over and over again. Moses says to them that, that you ought to remember what God did in Egypt how he carried you on eagle's wings, and how he brought you to himself. I, I want, want to stop right there because it's here that the text is emphasizing this deliverance moment, that God did not just deliver you to deliver you, that God delivered you to bring you to himself. Can I put it on pause right there and have you to think about that a little bit? He did not just deliver you from a bad situation, from bad circumstances, so that you could shout about being delivered. No, he delivered you so that you could move from your oppression into the place of his presence. And there's an indictment against the church. We're good about shouting over our deliverance. But we're poor at moving into his presence. 
We are a people who perpetually wants the blessings of being delivered and the blessing of breakthrough. And yet we fail to learn the lesson that anytime God delivers you, yes, it is because he loves you. Yes, it is because he wants to pour out on you grace. But it is also because he wants you to have a covenant relationship with you. you he wants to invite you into the place of his presence. So the first deliverance move is that they're being delivered to be brung into a divine destination. And that destination is the place of God's presence. So notice what God does. He says, I want to challenge you to think about your past because if you think about your past, it will empower you in the present to make the right decision for your future. And I know we want to shout about 2024, but the text is suggesting to us that at the front of 2024, perhaps you need to think about your past and how he made ways on yesterday and how he brought you out on yesterday. Because if you can remember yesterday, it will inform your today and you'll make the right decision as you move into the future. It's right there that a few people ought to shout to God, I haven't forgotten. It's a new day, but I remember yesterday that if it wasn't for you, I would be lost without hope. It's a new day, but I remember yesterday that it was you that brought me out. I remember yesterday that I was about to throw in the towel, but you said, no, not on my watch. I still have a plan and a purpose for your life. So God charges them to think about yesterday so that it will empower today so that they will make the right decision for their future. Verse 5 and 8 declares this. Moses continues the conversation, and as he continues this conversation with them, he says that the Lord has told me to tell you that if you obey me fully, and keep my covenant, then out of all of the nations, you will be my treasured possession, although the earth is mine. You will be, for me, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And these are the words that were spoken to them by Moses on that glorious day. Catch what Mo tells them in the moment. He says, when I was hanging out with God, God told me to come and tell you this, that he's brought you out, delivered you, because he's been trying to bring you to himself. And in this moment, you've got a choice. Here's what God is putting before you. God is saying that he's requiring of you to obey him fully. Think about it, because I got a funny feeling that God's being very intentional right now in this moment. Notice the emphasis that he puts on obedience fully. Perhaps um, he is intentional on saying that there's this need for us to obey him 
fully because we've mastered obeying him partially. We pat ourselves on the back because we've picked and we've chosen the things that God has commanded. And when we get our preferred commandments right, we shout and act as if we've done our due diligence. But no, when Mo comes down off the mountain, he says, God told me that, that he wants to do something with you, but it requires that you obey him fully. Okay, um, perhaps if I, if I tell you what, 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 what obey means, you, 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 you'll catch it better. Obey means obey. <laughs> Ain't nothing deep about that. You don't need the Hebrew of obey. You know what obey means. And he says, I want you to obey me fully. He says that in this moment of grace, of God pulling you into the place of his presence, he's putting upon you the mandate to obey him fully. Can I pause right there for a second? Will you just touch your heart and say, God, help me to obey you fully? You don't have to tell anybody what your thing is. But all across the room, everybody's got a thing. I know you've shown up in the temple. You look good in your Sunday morning black or whatever color you're sporting on today. But the reality is under that is the reality of sin. And as the people of God, there has to be a humility that acknowledges that God really wants me to obey him fully. If I'm gossiping about people, God wants me to stop it because that's a part of obeying him fully. If I'm holding grudges against people and I won't bury the hatchet, God wants me to finally bury the hatchet because that's a part of obeying him fully. Here we go. You're not going to like me on this. If I'm not paying my tithe and giving God an offering after he blessed me to be prosperous, that's not obeying him fully. He says God is calling for a people that will obey him fully. Partially just won't do it. So he says, God told me to tell you that he needs you to obey him fully. And it seems like that would be enough right there to stop. But watch the weight of the word that Moses comes down with. Not only does he want you to obey him fully, he wants you to keep the covenant. It's right here that God has introduced himself as wanting to be their sole God. It's important for you to understand the context in order for you to get what God is after here. God's just delivered them from an environment that has many gods. They've been reared and shaped in that environment, even though they have kept the stories of their ancestors regarding Yahweh, the one and only true God. 
God says, I know that the stories of your ancestors you still know, but you've been in a culture that has adapted and accepted many gods, and in this covenant with me, I need for you to understand there can be no other gods, only me. And I want to put it on pause right there because even though we claim that we serve Yahweh, Many of us are still struggling with other gods. I know you're looking at me like, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Here, here you go. Um, let me see if I can give you this scenario. Um, there are some brothers that if the right game comes on, and they've got to choose between going to church or catching the game, it ain't even a choice. Deuces. I'll catch you next week. My team's playing. And perhaps that is a statement that even though you claim God as your God, maybe your favorite football team is really your God. Okay. Um, for some young woman, mama's been trying to tell you, I ain't sure about that boy. But, 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 I love he. I love he, mama. He, he's a good guy. And there are things that he's trying to encourage that you know go against the moral, spiritual tendons of your upbringing. And your decision determines whether God is really your God. God tells them, um, I want to do something with you, but I need you to fully obey, and I need you to fully keep this covenant as me, as your only and your sole God. And before I leave this point, can I ask you the question, what's your other God? What's the thing that's wrestling for your commitment and your affection? God says, that for what I want to do, I need for you to enthrone me. And there can be no other gods. It says, if you can do this, you will be, of all the nations, a treasured possession. It is right here in this particular text where we see coming into flourishing what I define as the nation of faith. Yes, Israel has become its own nation, but more so than it being a natural geographical nation, it is important that you understand in the spirit, they are the nation of faith. They are the offspring of the person that we call Father Abraham. They are God's nation of faith, and in being the nation of faith, they are for him a special treasure. And he declares that although the whole earth is mine, you're going to be for me, catch it, a kingdom of priests. I want you to get the imagery in your mind. God is on the mountain. Moses has carrying the word of God and he stands before the people and he says, God just told me that I'm no longer to be the only priest. That 
everything. It's called to walk with the authority of priesthood on it. Now, I want for you to understand what's at the foot of the mountain. Theologians would suggest that there are over a million people at this point in their journey. And that at this point, you've got every man, you've got every woman, you've got every child. And Moses stands before them and he says to everybody, God says he wants to make all us priests. And yes, you may have a high priest, but you are also a priest. I want to put it on pause right there um, because um, it's high expectation for the person called pastor. And it should be. I'm not trying to debunk that. But if you've got that expectation for the pastor, the text says that that same expectation should be something that you hold yourself to because you have been called and appointed to be priest as well. If you don't mind, look at somebody, tell them you've been called to be a priest. I know you're more comfortable being called usher. I know you're more comfortable being called choir member. I, I know that, that you're, you're more uh, comfortable being called a part of the kitchen committee. But no matter what those other titles are, it does not remove the fact that you have been called and ordained to be a priest by the Lord God Most High. He says to them that I'm calling you to be priests. It's right here that God is dealing with them about their divine identity. He says that if we're going to get this right, you got to obey me fully. You've got to be willing to keep the covenant. And in keeping your covenant with me, we've got to shift your sense of self. You spend all of this time under the oppressive hand of the enemy. And how you see yourself is not how I see you. And I need for you to yield and surrender yourself to my presence so that I can redefine your identity. And I know we live in a world where people tell you that you have to create your own identity. That's not what the text says. The text says that God's already got that figured out for you. He says, your identity and covenant with me will be that you are a kingdom of priests. Everybody shout with me, identity. He moves now from identity and he deals with essence. He says, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Pause, rewind. Holy nation doesn't mean that your blood is of Israel. Holy nation means that you have been engrafted in the nation because you are a person of faith. So watch it. He says you're to be a holy nation. Consequently, holiness is not your denomination. Holiness has to do with the fact that you've been set apart for God. 
It means that you have acknowledged the way of God and you have made a decision that my life is going to line up with God so that I can honor his way above my way. Brother Charles, it's that text that we all love to shout about. Jesus is in the garden. And he says, Father, is there any other way? Can you take this cup from me? But then he says, nevertheless, not your will be done. Every time we get to that part, we shout about it. But we forget about the fact that we are now baptized in Christ. And his way is supposed to be our way. So when he displayed the ability to say not my will, but your will be done, he was putting before us a model and a pattern of how we are called to live out and walk our life before the Lord. He says, I need you to be holy. And holy means that you're able to yield your will so that my will can live through you. He says there's a requirement for the essence of your very soul. I'm after your identity, but I'm after also the quality of your life. Then the text reaches for me the climatic end. After Moses has spoken these words to them, all of the people respond without hesitation or reservation. All of the people respond together. We will do everything that the Lord has said. It's a powerful moment because they're delivered, brought to the place of decision. And when they hear all that God wants to do in regards to their destiny, they hear God and they say, okay, God, we are committed to living life for you and through you and, and by you. We will do everything that you have said. And I wonder right now, if we had to poll congregations all across the world, how many congregations would sound off in thunderous unity that we will do everything that you've commanded us. I promise you I'm almost done. Pause and think about it. Most folk in church want to do what they want to do. They want to claim the name of God, but then work their own agenda. And what the text puts before us is a people who once they got delivered, they say, God, we've seen your power. They say, God, we've seen your authority. God, we've seen your majesty. And if you've chosen us and you want to use us, our answer is yes. And I figured this would be a great place to start on today. What's your answer at, on this 2024? On this first Sunday of a brand new year, have you transformed in your heart and moved to a place where you say, God, my answer is yes. If you want to use me, God, I'll get out the way and do it your way. If you want to use me, God, I'll sacrifice my will so that your will can be achieved. And a part of what I'm trying to declare to you is that right now in this moment, you're in the place of decision. 
was that decision. Are we going to settle for church as usual? What's the decision? Are you comfortable with your brand of religious routine? Or will you enter into a place where you say, I'm hungry for God? God, I've done church all of my life. But in this season, I'm hungry for your presence. Because that's what the deliverance was all about. God delivered them to bring them to him. And then he declared that with me, this is the plan that I have for you. Are you willing to submit to it? I believe that as the church, sometimes we have done you a great disservice by not preaching a balanced gospel. Yes, he is the God of grace. Yes, he is the God of love. And yet he is still a God of requirement. And any time that you begin to paint God as only the God of love and grace, you have a distorted picture of who God is. His love makes him tolerant. His love makes him long-suffering. But it does not remove the fact that he's yet holy. And he's yet a God who judges. In this moment of decision, Israel are being introduced to the God of their deliverance. Yes, I delivered you. But I delivered you because I've got a destiny that I've already determined for you. Are you willing to embrace it? All across this room right now, that's not a rhetorical question. Individually, God is asking you right now, are you willing to embrace the destiny that I have for you? Are you willing to make your plan secondary to my plan? Are you willing to make your ideas of how it should be secondary to my ideas? And so if your answer is yes to the Lord, will you just lift your hands right there and tell him yes? There's some stuff I'm going to have to struggle through, God. But I still tell you yes. There's some stuff, God, that I, I don't know quite how I'm going to get myself free from. But God, I'll yet give you my yes. Thank you, Father. Now, Father, all across this sanctuary, for the hands that are lifted up right now, we decree unto you, yes. We understand that you are calling us to more, so forgive us when we settle for the less. But thank you that you were not willing to give up on us. Thank you, God, that you continue to call and beckon us, God, to come into deeper space and place with you. So, Father, we embrace covenant with you. And we ask that you keep us as only you can. It is all of these things we pray now in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's children said hallelujah and amen. Did anybody get that on today? 
stuff that was intended to kill you but God delivered you from it because God wants to use you because God wants to partner with you and you ought to live this year like you know it you ought to live this year like my life is brought with the price when the choir was singing about that blood all of y'all was jumping up but if you have a revelation of the blood, it means my life has been brought with the price. My life is no longer my own. So here, here's, here's what I'm going to leave you with, and we're going to open, open the doors um, of the church for call to discipleship. Catch it. A part of your greatest wrestle this year is going to be the, the wrestle with your own emotions. Because for some of us, our God is the God of our emotions. We're moved by how we feel. And we live in a culture that has taught you that you got a right to your feelings. And everything you feel ain't God. So, so how do you resolve feelings that ain't lining up with God? So that by itself says to me that I can't be controlled by what I feel. And if you're going to live the life that God wants you to live, you got to begin to say, God, help me have authority over me. There are things that I feel that are trying to get in the way. But God, help me to discern the difference between your way and my feelings. Because everything I feel, I know is not you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you. Hallelujah. We hope this message was a blessing and motivation to enjoy your day. We appreciate you listening to It's Time for the Word. Make sure you visit www.pgc-carry.org for more podcasts and Pleasant Grove updates. Be blessed.